Well, um, a few years ago, I was being interviewed and I was asked the question, what were some of my goals as a minister? And I gave the answer that one of my goals is to remain a Christian. And I remember that those uh, doing the interview, they didn't quite know how to respond to that. Uh, they were probably expecting that I'd say something about growing the church or caring for my family or something like that. But staying a Christian, I mean, isn't that a given? Well, sadly, it's not. And I have seen pastors of churches, uh, people who I have known who have not only left their role in ministry, but who have also left the faith and who now no longer see any need for the Lord Jesus in their lives. And I imagine that most of us have experience of seeing this, uh, of people walking away uh, from the faith that they once owned. And when we see that happen, well, we can, you know, we can run off some of the common Christian phrases to try and deal with it. You know, they weren't really saved in the first place or, or people can even deceive themselves for a time. But I think uh, perhaps the, the more pressing issue for us is often not that theological dilemma, but the issue can become much more personal. And we wonder, what about me? See, what will happen for me? Will I persevere? Or will I maybe, like my friend, be overpowered by that sin that led him away from Christ? Or, or what about if persecution should come or suffering should come? Well, would I have the courage to stand fast or, or would I just give in? Well, it's those kind of questions that our passage raises for us today. Now, as we saw last week, this is a letter that tells us of the great resources that are available to us when times of trial and testing come. Uh, it tells us that we are not alone, but that we have Jesus, our great high priest, who promises grace and mercy in our times of need. And for those who first received this letter, uh, Christians probably uh, living in Rome in, in about 50 AD, well, that time had come. Now, now, they weren't being tossed to the lions, but they were being imprisoned, some of them, uh, losing their property, uh, being mocked, they were marginalised. And so for some, the temptation was to stop hearing the word of God and to go back to what they were before, uh, before they became believers. But, but here in this letter, well, they are encouraged to keep going. That's been the, the big uh, thrust of the letter, to not go backward but to keep looking to Christ, to keep going forward in him. And so that's the encouragement for us today as well, to keep going forward. And what our writer does in our passage today is he alternates really between a word of warning and a word of comfort, a word of rebuke and a word of refreshment. So let's take a look at our passage together. And first of all, verses 11 to 14 of chapter 5. Uh, here's the first word of warning. It says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need, uh, <coughs> you need milk, not solid food. So it begins there with that strong rebuke. Uh, by now you ought to be teachers, but look at what you are. Well, you're just babies in the faith. 
Uh, our writer wants to explain to the readers uh, the uh, significant spiritual things, like about how Jesus has become our great high priest and what that means. But we notice that he takes a break from that here because he his readers have stopped listening. Well, literally it says, because you have become sluggish. Uh, and that word is used again at the end of our section in verse 12, uh, where it says <clears throat> that we do not want you to become lazy uh, or sluggish, but to imitate those who by faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Now it is a rebuke, isn't it, to say that they've become like spiritual slugs. I mean, the slug really has to be one of the most unattractive and unimpressive creatures that God has made. You know, they're slow. Uh, there's nothing very impressive about a slug. You can't imagine really any sports team ever choosing them as their mascot, can you? But this is what our, our writer says to us. In your spiritual life, you've become like slugs. Now, often when someone first becomes a believer, it's often the opposite, isn't it? You know, they're so excited. They tell all their friends about Jesus. They devour Christian books. They sign up for everything at church and every conference that gets advertised. They're the first ones there. Thankfully, after a while, they slow down, which is good for them and good for everyone. But these guys, our writer says, well, they have slowed down so much that they've almost stopped. And the tone here is that our writer is disappointed with them. He's saying, how can I explain to you these great things about Jesus and his high priestly work when you need someone to teach you again the basics. See what he says there? He says, uh, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. See, by now they should be putting these things that they have learned into practice. They should be walking with Christ and growing in him. They should be going forward, not backward. They should be pressing on, not wavering and, and uh, being tempted to drift away. And so he begins here with this sharp word of rebuke. And friends, I wonder if today, if this is a challenge for some of us. You know, maybe it'd be good for us to think back over, well, how has our spiritual life been recently? Maybe how has our spiritual life been since the coronavirus has come? You know, we've not been able to have many of our normal routines. Well, what has that done for your spiritual life? Have you been able to keep growing and keep nurturing uh, your faith yourself? Or have you really taken some steps backwards? Now, I think there's a real challenge for us about are we moving forward in our maturity? Well, then in the next section of verses uh, verses 1 to 3 of chapter 6, our writer, I think, somewhat changes his tone uh, from rebuke to one of encouragement. So there in 6 verse 1, he says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. So he's saying to them now, he's saying, Look, I know that you are mature. You know, you've been believers for a while. You've been well taught. You know the basics. So now build on these. Now don't understand what he's saying. Uh, don't misunderstand what he's saying here. He's not saying that teaching about repentance and judgment and faith, and he's not saying that that's all basic Sunday school stuff that we learn once and then leave behind. 
Rather, his point is that we, we build on those, we go on from those to maturity, which means really living those things out and practicing them in our lives. Saying you've heard about faith, will now live lives of faith. You've heard about repentance, will be repentant. You talk about the coming judgment, will live in light of that. See, maturity is to take these truths of the gospel and to apply them as the guiding principles by which we live our lives. Now, he says in verse 7 that land that drinks in rain often falling on it produces a crop. Well, he's saying that that's you guys. You've received the rain. You've heard the gospel. You've understood it. You've believed it. Those Blessings of God, they've all fallen on you and so now produce a crop. Go on to maturity. Go on to fruitful living. So it's not just about head knowledge, is it? But we, we hear the word of God so that our, our lives are transformed by it. In verse 3 there he says, In God permitting, we will do so. Now it could be easy for us to skip over that verse. Uh, if it is God's will we will do so. You might read that and think, well, what does he mean? Of course it's God's will, isn't it? That's why he's written this letter, so that we would go on to maturity. But here I think is a good reminder to us that it takes us back to God and takes us back to his sustaining grace. Because it is only because of God's grace that we're Christians in the first place. But grace isn't just how we begin the Christian life, it's how we continue and it's how we finish. It's grace has brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. So if I continue as a Christian, it'll be by God's grace. I live and you live each day by the grace of God. Well, that's the first word of refreshment, but then the next is, again, a word of warning and rebuke. And it begins there with these three words, it is impossible. Uh, and this seems to me, uh, from verse 4 there, it seems to me to be a, a rebuke, a, a warning, a very strong warning given to Christians about the consequences of drifting away. So let me read from verse 4. He says, It is impossible for those who once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. So clearly this is a strong warning, but I think the key question is who, this, who is this warning given to? So is it talking about Christians, or is it maybe talking about those in the church who look like Christians, who hang around with Christians, but who aren't actually converted? Well, I think that the most natural way to understand this is that it is Christians who are being described here. I mean, just look at these verses again. Uh, he's talking about those who have been enlightened. That is, those who used to walk in darkness, but then God switched on the light and now they see. He's talking about those who have tasted the heavenly gift. That is, those who have experienced new life, who have drunk from the well of life. 
He's speaking of those who have shared in the Holy Spirit. Now that is the sign of being a Christian, that we are in fellowship with him. He's talking about those who have tasted the the goodness of the word of God. Those who have been gripped by God's word in the gospel. He's speaking there of those who have tasted the powers of the coming age. That is, those who have now been made a new creation in Christ Jesus and and, and are now caught up in that day-to-day dynamic of uh, living now in the present age, but also experiencing the things of the age to come. See, all of these descriptors, they, they sound very much to me like the experience of a Christian. I think that's what's being described here. It's We're seeing here the immense blessings that God has given to believers. And as we reflect on those things, and as we recognize just how blessed by God we really are, well then it should be to us unthinkable to have received all of these incredible blessings from God and then just to to walk away from them, to ignore them or to turn our backs on them, to treat them as if they are nothing. Now I want to say that of course you know there are pretend Christians, there are those who take part in Christian things but who don't actually trust in Jesus. But I take it that's not who's being addressed here. And secondly, he's not talking here about you know, kind of that one-off slip-up or act of disloyalty. I mean, we all, we all blow it sometimes, you know, like Peter did. You know, when the call comes to stand and speak, we, we stay quiet or we wimp out, we, we stumble into sin. We, we all do that. But this is not talking about that. The warning here is about a, a complete turning away, a, a determination to stop going forward and to start going back. And our writer says here that to have experienced the the abundant blessings of God, so to have drunk that in, and then to deliberately turn around and and trample on the cross of Christ, well, it is impossible, he says. It is like crucifying Christ all over again. There's no way back. That person has become like a worthless field. That's what he says in verse 8. He says, But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Friends, it's a strong warning, isn't it? And it's good for us to let that sit with us for a minute. But what we see here is that the last word, as always in the Bible, is a word of comfort and a word of grace. So let's uh, read now from verse 9. He says, Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're convinced of better things, in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. Now I want to say that the warning we just heard, it is a real warning. Now some commentators will say that what's being described here is a, is a hypothetical situation. But I think that what our writer has said, you know, he, he doesn't want us to go too quickly to see that as a hypothetical. He wants us to feel the weight of the warning. But he also wants us to feel the comfort of the gospel. And in these last verses, he's saying that, you know, there are, there are fields of weeds and there are fields of fruit. And he says, I've walked in your field. He says, I've seen it. 
You know, I've seen your faith at work, the, the love that you have shown to God as you've helped his people, as you keep on helping them. These are signs of God at work. These are signs of faith and love and perseverance. And so our writer is confident here for his readers that falling away is not true of them. And so he urges them to keep going and to hold on to these, these two truths that the Bible teaches of, of, of assurance, of perfect assurance of our salvation because it's been completed in Christ. But at the same time, the, the call to hard-working diligence. So we're to, we're to keep our eyes fixed on what is ahead and to keep straining and working towards that, putting sin to death in our lives and growing in holiness. But all the time knowing that no one can snatch you out of his hand. Knowing that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion knowing that nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're to have that firm assurance, but balance it with hard-working diligence. And this is what we see throughout the Bible. Work out your salvation, says Paul, with fear and trembling. Notice he doesn't say work for it. That's because you've already received it. It's a gift. Rather, work it out in your life. Put it into practice. Fight the good fight. Because you don't want to become lazy, like slugs. Rather, verse 12, we want you to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Now, this might be uh, leading up to what we're going to see in lots of detail in chapter 11, where he gives that long list of those who by faith persevered. But also I think, you know, we can think of those in our own church family. Now what a blessing it is to know those who have who've walked in the faith longer than us. You know, those who have been living for Christ for 60, 70, 80 years. And to hear them speak of their joy in knowing him and living for him. Well, let me just conclude with a few comments to take away from this passage. First, I want to say, I think there are few words in the Bible that are, are more serious, uh, that are more solemn than what we read here today. Uh, to know Christ, to experience his grace and blessings, and then to turn away from him, well, the result of that is to fall under God's curse, and we should let the weight of that sit with us. Second, I think we're also reminded here of the undeniable evidence of true faith. And what that is, is it's not experiences. It's not having a great testimony to tell. It's not even kind of seeing God work in your life or answered prayers. I think the one undeniable evidence of true faith is that it perseveres. As Jesus says, it abides in the vine. It remains in his love. That is the great mark of belief. It, it perseveres. It, it keeps its eyes fixed on Jesus to the very end. And third, finally, I want to say that the reason that we are given these warnings is for our good. Uh, see, the, the intention, the reason why God has given us warnings in the Bible, here in Hebrews, but other places as well, is because 
as we hear the warning and as we listen to it, well, that is a means by which God helps us to persevere. Because as we hear it, well, it spurs us on to maturity and perseverance in Christ. It's a bit like, I think, um, think of the speed cameras on, on the highway. If you'd driven up the Hume Highway, you would have seen this. Um, you know, before you get to one of those speed cameras, uh, you're given so much warning, aren't you? I mean, it, it actually almost seems over the top. Now, first, there's a sign a few kilometres back saying, warning, speed camera ahead. Then you get a bit closer up the road, uh, warning, speed camera. And then when you get to the camera, then there's a third warning saying, speed camera. And really, I mean, if you get caught, the, the only person you can blame is yourself. Now, why are there so many warnings? Well, the reason why is because they want you to arrive safely. And this is what we see here in Hebrews. Chapter 3, warning. Today's passage, chapter 6, warning. When we get to it, chapter 10, another warning. Now, why does God give us these? Well, friends, it's because he wants you to arrive safely. That's why. Because he loves you. And in giving us these warnings, he's helping you to persevere because he wants you to be with him in the age to come. That's why he gave his son. That's why he opened your eyes to the gospel. That's why he now urges you to keep your eyes fixed on him. And so let us be those who make it our goal to persevere and to press on to the promised inheritance which has been bought for us by our Saviour Jesus. Let me pray for us now. Let me pray in light of what we've heard from God's word. Our Father God, your word to us is a a light to our path. And we thank you today for these, these sober words of warning, but also the comforting words of assurance. And Lord, may your word to us today indeed guide us, we pray, all the way through our lives, that we would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.